0: Welcome to the Ivy Church Podcast. Hello, Ivy Church. Hello, Ivy Church. Welcome to Ivy Church. Jambo Jambo. Cariboni, Carisania, Ivy Church. Good to see you. Welcome to Ivy Church. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Matthew chapter 6 verses 19 to 24 I'm reading from the amplified version do not store up for yourselves material treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is There, your heart, your wishes, desires, that on which your life centres will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is spiritually blind, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light inside you is darkness, how great and terrible is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So as we look at these words, we see that they are in Matthew chapter 6, which follows on from Matthew chapter 5, where we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount. It still continues into this. We've been looking at a series called Blessed, and we've seen that God has got a way to bless us. He's speaking to his disciples as part of what we call the Sermon on the Mountain in the Beatitudes. We heard him speaking about how we are blessed by God and who gets blessed by God. Whatever goes on in this life, God has a way to bless us. And if you've been with us in this series, you'll know there's been quite a few surprises along the way, as we've been studying and seeing here that Jesus says God can find a way to bless us regardless of external circumstances. like whether we have lots of money or not, or whether we are uh, being persecuted, or whether we've lost people and need to be comforted. So many counterintuitive ways, as the world would perceive it, God can still bless us no matter what. Because in the end, the blessed ones are not necessarily those who are going to fight and grab hold and push their way forward. They're going to be meek. It isn't those who are going to hold out for their rights and demand that they have it all here and now. It's going to be peacemakers. Instead, the blessed people are those who at this time will suffer in life at times and yet rejoice because they're heaven-focused. He says, as we carry on, and as I carry on reading here, as I look through Matthew 5 into Matthew chapter 6, as he carries on talking, he's saying, these kind of blessed people preserve the earth and society by living in it as salt preserved meat in those days to stop it going off, to stop the rot. And God blessed people shine as the light of the world, however dark it gets. These blessed people, we read on, do what he says and teach others to do that and so they will be called great in the sight of heaven. Whatever earth might say about them and even if we never get rewarded or applauded here. Then he addresses issues around our personal internal attitudes and he's not trying to get us to be some kind of pious religious performers he contrasts us with the pharisees of his day and he keeps it really simple he gets real with regard to issues like anger generosity sexuality immorality relationships commitments that we make with our lives and with our lips and he talks into all these issues about how we shouldn't be people who just live for this life, who live for revenge. We should should live to give, to forgive, and to do so generously and privately, and as much as is needed. And he said, when we pray, we should remember we're talking to our Father in heaven who sees what's done in secret and wants to reward us for obedience. And then right here, he asks them a question that comes out of what he's been saying before. He started out the text before, which is, where is your heart? And then the answer, we see, is found from verse 21 onwards. It says there, my heart is wherever my treasure is. Now, of course, we're not talking about here where your heart is physiologically. I'm not talking about who you might have given your heart to when you fell in love or whatever. Because for the Hebrews, the heart was not pictured as the seat of feelings. That was your guts. For them, the heart really tied very closely to your Thought patterns, as you think in your heart, so you are, it says in the Old Testament, so you'll do what you think. And the question to locate your heart then is, what do we spend time, what do we invest our thoughts in mostly? How, does, how much of the time does money and possessions intrude in our thoughts, attitudes, motivations? Is it our preoccupation, whatever our occupation? What do we spend our moments thinking about, our hours worrying about, our days planning for, and our lives working for? And you probably don't have to think about that too long because even if it wasn't one of the only things that's in the news every day, at the moment especially, and most people are worrying and considering, and whether you've got a lot or a little, and of course that's relative to other people, I imagine most of the time our answer is gonna be we all think about money, possessions, houses, furniture, um, cars, jobs, bank accounts, savings, debts, tax, investment. These things are in our thoughts and we should think about them wisely. There's things that we've bought, things we're planning to buy. We, we might be on a, a hunt for bargains. We might, we might think about money that we wanna get more of or money we wanna save so we feel safe and secure and happy. We tend to think a lot about stuff And when we do that, Jesus says our heart is tracking there with that. How many people really, as soon as we're old enough to begin to start some money, um, being earned. We start to plan just to get more and more, thinking that when I get more, I'll be more happy. Or when I spend more, I'll save more. And, and, and all of these things start to get a grip on us from an early age, which is why it's so necessary for us to teach our children and young people who are being discipled by screens and the people behind them, telling us, all you have to do is consume and buy and get. In this wonderful little book, The Gift of Giving, R.T. Kendall talks about how his own father didn't just teach him when he was young to give, but also to tithe. But he says that doesn't mean he liked it when he first heard about it. He says, my first paying job at the age of 10 was selling an American newspaper door to door called Grit. Back then it sold for 10 cents a copy and I made 3 cents every time I persuaded a neighbour to buy one. In the first week I made 50 cents. I was so happy with myself, how thrilling it was to earn money on my own and not merely to have an allowance from my parents. But when I was counting my money on the dining room table, my father had the impertinence to put his finger on a nickel and he slid it to one side. That, my son, is the Lord's. I reached for the nickel, faster than you can bat an eyelash, and brought it back to the 45 cents. That is mine, I replied. I earned it, I worked hard for it. No, my son, my father retorted, sticking to his guns. That is the Lord's. But dad, that was my introduction to tithing, and I've never been sorry. My father's not a minister, but he would not dream of giving to God a penny less than the full 10% of his income. My parents were never wealthy, Far from it, but Dad had this strange idea that God has a way of making the 90% that we keep to ourselves up to or even above the 10%. And to keep that back and withhold it would be to steal God's money. Now it's interesting, he says, that he would never have any regret about tithing or teaching other people about it too. And as somebody who's done the same as that for around 30 years, I'd completely agree. I know I will agree at the end of this life too, because what we see here is that the Lord is telling us about an investment. He's telling us about an opportunity to regularly, wisely and obediently put a little away, not for a rainy day, but for the last day. Not into an earthly bank account where, as they always have to warn you now, you may lose your investment, but into a heavenly bank account where it's kept safe for you. Notice that. It's for you, he says. Somehow what I send ahead is waiting for me. What I keep here, it's all going. The close of business day comes to us all and Jesus wants to advise us how to be a really smart investor. See, there'll come a day when you don't get to put any more money in the bank or get anything more out from it. If all your treasure is in the earthly account, you're done. They talk about levelling up these days. Well. Dying does that better than millionaire politicians talking about it ever will. However much or little we may have had, when the final balance is checked and when we check out of life, what won't matter is how much did we get here, but how many of the pennies from heaven did we invest back there? Jesus wants us to take the really long view with our finances and that's wise in terms of earthly investments for sure. It's been said the poor have to worry day to day about money, the middle class month to month, though the truth is many are now so overexposed they're doing the same right now. But the rich in this world don't just think year to year, they think generation to generation, they think inheritance. Though even those who seem best with earthly investments about what they've earned or inherited from a generation before who thought that way, seem to disregard the long-term, real long-term financial picture. That there really are, as Jesus says here, two banks, two possible treasuries open to us, and two possible visions that leads to for the way we look at life, which will determine our choices of which and how much we will bank in each of those accounts. Listening to what the Lord says, we might immediately hear something negative, but miss the positive point. I want us to highlight that. He says, the Lord is not here saying he's against storing up treasures. He didn't say that. He, he, He doesn't say don't store up treasures. Rather, he commands us to store up treasures, doesn't he? And I don't want you to think, when we talk about this, that I'm not personally incredibly challenged and convicted by these words of Jesus. As I've as if I've got it all sorted myself and have never got any kind of regrets or struggles with my own greed and desires. Not just to get my daily bread, which I just read here before it, the father said he would give me. But I want my cake and eat it too, not just the daily bread. How good are you with money, really? See, I'm not an economist. And having a son who just graduated with a master's in that subject and looking at a few of his essays made me realise how much I really don't know. And I'm not a politician either, I really wouldn't want that job. So I don't know, if there actually are any easy answers for the world economy and our part in it, and I don't understand how policies built on nations and businesses borrowing more and more billions is meant in some way to bring down debt and make us secure, or how this or that policy affects the shrinking pound in our ever-picked pockets. But I do know, really, the answer to what has gone wrong is not just pandemics or policies, it's not him or her or hedge funds, it's hearts. Greed hides in our hearts. Materialism tells me to worry and hoard, to buy more and give less, because charity begins at home, so look out for number one. Keep it, grab it, work harder, or spend it, or get in more debt to buy it anyway, even if you can't afford it, because today you can make three or 10 easy payments. You know what? I've never made an easy payment in my life when it came round to it, and they always do. So yeah. I'm no accountant, as they say, don't take this as any kind of financial advice from me. But Jesus, you know, Jesus could get the money that was demanded of him out of the mouth of a fish. He could miraculously multiply meagre resources to share with thousands and have leftovers. So let's listen to him. And what does the really smart money do? Because he tells us elsewhere in the parable of the talents that whether I got one or three or five, two or five or 10, he will get me to give an account for the pennies from heaven. And it will be easy to determine when my heart was because there are only two bank accounts available. Both have your name on. You may have opened the earthly one when you were a child. You might have been taught to save like I was when I was little, thanks mum. But the other one had your name written on it before you were born. And God knows exactly how much the balance is right now. It's the ultimate offshore account. The rewards and the benefits are all out of this world. Two banks, both open for investments for you to build treasures in and one day soon they'll be closed for business. Now God gives us everything and he has given everything we've got so far, every opportunity. And he's given us time to decide where we spend all the pennies from heaven. Listen, if he counts every hair on your head, we can be sure he knows exactly what you and I have been given and how much we've put in that other account, the heavenly one. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8 is a promise you can take to the bank. It says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that at all times and in all things, having all that you need, you may abound in every good work and of course there are all kinds of ways to be generous that don't include money we've put in some on our social media at the moment but you can't be generous and not include money god may not have sent all we wanted but he sent all we need to get you here today he's given you enough opportunities to deposit treasures in that heavenly bank he knows what we did and he knows what we haven't done for heaven's sake so Right here we read that Jesus has come from heaven to earth. He's practicing what he preached because the Bible says, though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor so that we through his poverty might become rich. And elsewhere, Paul clarifies that to, to say, rich means rich in good deeds, whatever we might think of ourselves as a have or a have not. So he's come from earth. He's come to earth from heaven to take us there to be with him. And he's saying, don't get so attached to this present passing world that you only think about spending and investments here. I mean, that would be like wallpapering a hotel room that you're just staying in for a night or buying a new stereo for the hire car. Don't be fooled. Don't let your heart be so preoccupied with the passing treasures of earth that will perish. So you just end up treasuring treasuries. That's literally the words he uses here, treasuring treasuries. And, you know, of course that includes monies, but it goes way further. What do we treasure? It includes both the rich and the poor, because we all have things we treasure and and we we, we hold on to. It could be a home, it could be a collection, whatever it is, things we want to make us happy. Those material things won't stand the test of time or eternity. They will all perish, be be eaten up or rust away, he says. Ecclesiastes 5 says we came into this world naked and empty-handed, and that's how we leave it too. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. So Jesus says, don't store it all up here, but do store up treasures in the right place. The Lord gives us a simple choice, two banks, two treasuries to put our time and energy and treasures into. And that will result in one of two possible visions for your life, two ways to live in the light of those choices. One, your life's going to be full of light and the other one, you're going to be in the dark. So there's the deal. Two banks, one treasury is temporary, one's everlasting. One may not give you any return on investment and you'll lose it all one day anyway. The best of it may just become somebody else's antiques. But the other one, the heavenly bank guarantees rewards forever and ever. And the investment strategy that we choose every day of our lives, the choice of treasury, does not just have repercussions when we die, but even now, because he he does say, here, where you're focusing your eyes means you're gonna end up choosing to live a life full of light or in darkness. In fact, we could translate his words that if your eye is, is full of light, is if your eye is generous, that's an alternate reading of it. If your eye is generous, you'll be filled with light. You wanna be blessed? You wanna be financially blessed? Easy. Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So if I want a better life now and then, I've got to live to give. Don't live to get, love to share, be rich in good deeds. Put more and more of what God gives you where he tells you because you can't take it with you when you go, but you can send it on ahead. Some people, some people are just dying to give. And what I mean by that is the only giving they'll ever do is anything that's left in their wills when they die. Don't wait till then. As somebody said, do your giving while you're living so you'll be knowing where it's going. We're making choices all the time. And if you know me, I hope you know, this is not a fundraising message or fundraising campaign. It's faith raising. That's what I want to do here today. God doesn't need your money or mine, but there's an opportunity now, a place where if you set your heart towards it, if you think about it more, a kingdom where what you invest in terms of focus and finances and future, anything you invest there gets stored up safe and sound away from the moths and the thieves and the rust, away from inflation or interest rates or incompetent greed from those who you trusted to look after it. What does the smart money do with those two opportunities? Well. We might think it would be easy if the Lord had just said, okay, here's what I want you to do. Remember this, so you, every penny that comes from God, every penny from heaven or pound, when it comes to my father, remember he gave you 100% of anything you ever got or anything you're ever gonna get or in the future. So, but he doesn't want it all back. What I want you to do is, I want you to spend 50% and you give 50% back. You know, you give that 50% to the poor and to the church and the rest you do what you want. That's a good split of what I want you to do. That's the the minimum. Or, or, well, we we might not like the sound of that. Some people switched off earlier at the word tithe because you can't even stand the idea that the God who gave 100% would have the temerity to ask for 10% back to start you in the right direction of generosity. And again, now don't get me wrong, I believe in tithing 10% to my local church, then giving more and more on top of that as the Lord blesses me, and he does. But I know some of you feel that that wouldn't be wise right now at all. You don't know how to begin to get there. We've got CAP, Christians Against Poverty, to help people who are really struggling. Paid for, by the way, because some people do tithe and give faithfully, like every other ministry here. So I'd advise anyone, anyone, to do the CAP money course, because that will help us get the principles and practices that end up moving us towards giving being a joy and not a demand. I have to admit, if there was a figure, a minimum amount like... Right, I gave that so now God is happy. That's his bit, this is my bit. (laughs) Earthly treasures, heavenly treasures. At least it would be simple, so we could all apply the formula, however much or little we might have relative to each other in terms of income and outgoings and so on. And I've got God off my back, and you know, well I did it, did you do yours? But the real problem is, if he just gave us a lowest acceptable legalistic minimum payment, and that was in the Old Testament They did that, the New Testament is more about hearts, So that that kind of legalism doesn't deal with the heart of the problem, which as we said at the beginning, is the problem of the heart. Paul says, I could give all I possess, but if it's not done in love, he told the Corinthians, it's worth nothing. The heart is where we need to do business today. Whatever my line of business or how it's going, God wants your heart. He doesn't want your money. He doesn't need your money or mine. He's doing okay, thank you. However the world economy goes, Heaven isn't worried, God's not worried. Heaven's roads have got no potholes. They're paved with gold. God doesn't need my money, but he wants my heart and he wants your heart. And he knows the more he gets my heart, the more my focus will shift and the more I'll love to give and I'll want to invest my treasure because now I'm living for his kingdom. I'm investing the pennies from heaven and the pounds from heaven. More and more as I see how ultimately very wise and how much better it is that I'll never regret investing treasures in heaven. So let's pray now and just you know, locate yourself. Where is my heart? Where's my treasure? and we know God's heart, Lord we know your heart is full of love for people and you've got a special love for the poor and unquenchable desire that nobody should perish but everybody will get a chance to know you so Lord I admit I am sorry for the focus so often that I put on the earthly treasures and the earthly treasury and I give back to you what belongs to you today because I want you to have my heart and if you have my heart and the more you have of my heart then nobody's gonna to need to pressure me or push me in any area that you want to lead me into. So when you, wherever you are now, would you say out loud with me, Lord, I want to give me back to you. Say that, Lord, I give you my heart. See, singing a song like that is easy, but Lord, I ask you now to shift the focus of my eyes. Help me see and make truly wise investments from today. I can't change the past, but Lord, you can change me today in ways that change everything forever. Lord, I want you to be my treasure, to see your kingdom increase more and more. So Lord... Do what you need to do to disentangle me somehow from the pull of all the earthly and temporary things that never satisfy. And as I make you my first love and my lasting treasure, Lord, would what you want, what's on your heart, please share that and let it matter most to me too. Forgive me, Lord, for how badly, unwisely, foolishly and greedily I've got this wrong so much At times I've walked in darkness, but Lord, now fill me with your light from your word so I can see and start to invest more and more in the best today and tomorrow so that the account with my name on it shows you how much I love you, how grateful I am, how much I've been loved, how much as I have lived, I have loved you in return. I ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Saviour. Amen. Hi, I'm Anthony Delaney. I'd love to welcome you to Ivy Church. Do check out the website, click on a few buttons, look at some previous teaching and some of the other things that we've been involved with. And why not plan to join us soon at one of our locations? Join a grow group, do the alpha course and figure out for yourself what it is that Christians believe. Or if you've got anything we can pray about, be in touch, press the contact button so that you can email us, let us know about you and how we hope you can be part of us. Come and join us at Ivy Church.